Hey friends, you're listening to a bonus episode of Halfway There. Craig and Janice Hammersmith and Small Signs and Big Promises. Hey, you want to take a trip to Luxembourg? Welcome to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I'm glad that you have downloaded. I'm excited about our conversation today. I'll tell you about that in just a moment. Um, you know what? If you haven't had a chance to go out to halfwaytherepodcast.com, um, we, we talk about all kinds of cool things in our episodes. You probably know that. Um, but, uh, we mentioned books and we mentioned websites and all that. It's all on the show notes at halfway there podcast.com going back, uh, over 200 episodes now. That's pretty cool. And, uh, so go check those out. You can also, if you want to, uh, hit the Patreon button, go over to Patreon and help support the show to keep us running. That does help. Every little bit helps. So you can get episodes early um, or for a little more, you can get a very cool halfway there t-shirt like the one I'm wearing today Uh, would be really fantastic. I'd love to ship one of those out to you. So please do that. Um, Today, our guests, our guests, we have two guests. So um, they're friends of ours, of of me and my wife. And uh, they are just um, a couple that has been really fun to watch what God is doing in their life. They're, God's leading them somewhere. And as you know, friends, that's always an interesting journey. So we are going to hear that story. Our, our friends are Craig and Janice Hammersmith. Craig and Janice, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's really interesting what God is doing through your life and some of the really cool circumstances that God sort of engineered that you couldn't have even imagined before, before they all all kind of started happening. Um, We're going to hear that story. Why don't you tell us first of all, a little bit, uh, just each of you kind of where God has you now, what you're, what you're doing, and then uh, we'll dive back in your story and come back to the, to hear. Yeah. So, you know, I'm an IT professional. Uh, I've been in the space for a little over 20 years. And, you know, I've been doing that for a long time and just sensing the Lord pulling me in a different direction. And so I've been on this journey for several years now. But yeah, uh, father of four, uh, husband of one, Janice. That's good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been good. It's been a good season, even even in the in a tough season like COVID, um, we were doing well, quite well. Oh, great! How about you, Janice? Yeah, um, we homeschool. I homeschool, so we've got four kids, sixteen down to eight, and that's been fun with their sports and different activities. So it keeps me busy. Yeah, very good. Um, awesome. So that's kind of the overview of where you guys are now. But like you said, Craig, you kind of had this feeling for a while that, uh, that God has been pulling you someplace else. There was something else that you wanted to, wanted to satisfy. So we'll hear that story as we go. Um, where are you guys from? I don't even know that. So we're, we're friends, but where did you guys, you're not both from Colorado, are you? No. Yeah. Where are you guys from? I'm originally from El Paso, Texas. Oh, okay. That is, I have a lot of life with God that, that he taught me about himself through those experiences growing up. 
and I'm from Ohio, uh, northern part of Ohio. And yeah, been there my my whole life until college and came out to Colorado and been here ever since. Uh, gotcha. Okay. Well, I want to set a little bit of the stage. So let's start with Janice and we'll just, we'll work, we'll work. I want to hear some about some of your childhood. So you said a lot of your spiritual experiences in life with God was in El Paso. What, uh, what was your family like? What was that? What was that like growing up? Uh, my dad is a pastor. My mom's from Australia. Uh, they met after seminary. He went to a seminary in Australia and then they met each other as he was leaving back to the United States. And then they wrote, he proposed in the mail. She came over. He's a pastor of a church in El Paso. Um, and growing up, I just got to see firsthand a lot of the ways that God works in hard situations and how he is faithful and protects uh, us. Like we didn't have a lot of money, but us kids probably didn't realize we didn't have, we knew we didn't have a lot, but we didn't realize how hard it was till we became adults. And our parents kind of mm. told us, of different stories of how God had provided. We saw how we were protected from just a lot of gangs in the area and crime that was kind of high, high through my growing up years. Yeah. So your, your mom's Australian. Yes. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. She came from a farm smack dab into the middle of a desert (laughs) on the edge of the border. Oh, wow. Culture shock. Yeah, I bet. I was going to say that's because Texas is like its own world. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Very interesting. I didn't know that. So, um, yeah. So daughter, pastor's kid, were you the wild pastor's kid? I wasn't. Um, I would, I hated telling people I was a pastor's kid because I was stereotyped either as <laughs> wild child. Yes. She's going to go party with us or, um, you're such a goody two shoes. We don't uh, want to be around you. So I didn't want to ever tell people. I only ask it that way. Cause I know that that's the stereotype, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So, so you were, okay. So pastor's kid kind of maybe maybe grew up poor, it sounds like, and that was a, t- a tough thing. How did that shape your faith and how did your faith become your own? Yep. Um, I think it was constantly through the years of seeing different stories of how God worked and hearing my parents talk about how he was providing. So an example would be um, our church was broken into one year and there was always graffiti on the side. The police would tell us spray paint over the graffiti because it's like a message board. So if you can keep it clean, people won't want to come and put their messages on there so much. So um, we didn't know what why the church was broken into because not many things were missing. It was odd things like not cash that was on the desk, but um, just communion cups and a church roster and weird things with, uh, and there were symbols painted over the church, like upside down star, that kind of stuff. And the police told us it was probably, there was a lot of um, Satanism going on in that area. And so they told us that, that a Satanist group probably broke in and stole that to pray over our church. And, um, and there were lots of bad things that were happening in the lives of the people of the congregation. And once the police told us that we just decided as a church to pray and ask God to stop that. And it it did. So that was nothing over spiritual or overpowerful. It was just a daily walk of asking God to intervene and help in what we needed um, and to see him protect us. So, you know, a few times 
we came out in the morning and our car doors were wide open, but our cars weren't stolen. Wow. The news would have a feed at the end saying what cars were stolen that day or week. And um, it was just a big area of crime, but, but God kept us safe. And that really helped me trust him. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a personal moment of, of trusting God or did it, how to become your own? All I can say, cause I don't have one of those, like it happened this day at this yeah. time. And that's okay. Um, by the way, <laughs> totally. Okay. That happens. <laughs> I, I remember laying in bed early elementary grades. I don't know, maybe fourth grade listening to, um, songs that our parents would have playing while we went to bed, Christian songs, kids songs, and just singing those words to God in my head. And then just feeling like an overwhelming peace and comfort. Like he's right here with me. Uh, just wanted to cry, but in a good way, just feeling Mm -hmm. his presence. And, um, yeah. So just through my life walking, trying to get to know him better, but he really is the one who led me to him. Yeah, that's great. Interesting. All right. So Craig, I want to hear a little bit about your growing up. So you, you were in Ohio, the great state of Ohio as an Iowan, uh, we're used to getting confused with Ohio. Yeah. Well, it's, it's easy, I suppose. I mean, <laughs> they're both Midwest and they look similar. Also both very important for presidential elections for the, for the record. <laughs> indeed. <Yeah>. indeed. <laughs> uh, what was it like in, in Ohio when you're growing up? You know, I grew up in a small town, um, 16,000 people. And, you know, I grew up in the same house my whole life, you know, until I went to college and, you know, just, uh, I would say my, my child was pretty good. I, I grew up Catholic, um, uh, Catholic school, uh, until sixth grade and then made a transition, uh, there to public middle school. Um, you know, I think around sixth grade is really when, fifth, sixth grade is when, you know, I really started to understand my faith a little bit more. Um, you know, my mom became a Christian, uh, I'm going to guess sometime around my third, third, fourth grade year. And, uh, we became, you know, my sister and I became believers, you know, probably around that, that fourth grade. Uh, so your mom, did you say your mom became a Christian? Yeah. Well, how'd that happen? Do you know? You know, it was a friend, uh, yeah, a friend of hers invited her to a Bible study and, um, yeah. And she just, I mean, she caught the, the spirit and mm. holy cow. Yeah. It, her faith just bloomed really quick. And for a long time, just, I just remember that being such a, a formative part of our growing up. When I look back, um, that was a really important time. And I, I would say we didn't really, my sister and I really didn't understand or grasp what, what it meant to be a Christian, I think until probably the junior high years when things started to click and different experiences took place. Yeah. And that's pretty normal as far, as far as developmentally, how did your life change after your mom became a believer? Uh, you know, I think, you know, I like, like anybody, the first thing you're doing, you're just soaking in and, and sort of the, the aspects of what you think your faith is it certainly changes. So you know, believing that, gosh, if I just read the Bible, if I'm good enough, right, then then I, that's all I need to do. And I think that that started to change as I started seeing a, a different dynamic or experiencing um, Jesus in a different way. You know, like the, the conversations in our house is, in our house was different. Um, 
uh, visit a lot of different churches. So I, I cover the gamut of all the different types of churches you could, you could visit. Um, so grabbing from different experiences, I learned a lot more about my faith and how other people worshiped. So I think that those influences, um, certainly, uh, changed sort of who I was in, inside. And I really started to think differently and, um, I guess kind of engage God in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, okay. So it sounds like you both kind of found Christ early on, um, and, and kind of, you know, normal steps of just becoming faith developing as you were, as you're young people. Um, how, how did it really start to become, you know, yours, not just in like middle school, but as you start, you get older, right? You have to start making your own decisions. And then that's kind of a lot of times when, when we have to, we have to do that. Um, how, how did that, uh, how that happen for you guys? So I'm going to tell you this. I have to think through this. I haven't told my parents this yet. Oh, nice. <laughs> We're getting a story. Her parents don't know. This is perfect. <laughs> oh, but I need to tell them this before. <laughs> if you use this, I'll tell you. Um, I guess I, so I was in high school, I, I was a senior and, um, most of my class, I went to a Christian school, but still pretty much my whole class went over to Juarez, Mexico to party, um, go to clubs. Cause you could drink under it. You know, you just bribe the guard or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so they would tell me, Janice, you have to come. You have to come. I just kept saying, no, no. Finally I gave in. I, I went, um, standing in line, like a girl went in, I don't even know this girl, but then they brought me her ID out for in line. So I could, um, have the ID to get into the club. And then, um, when I got in, I gave it back to her. Well, I feel, um, uh, not feel a police officer came up to me and asked to see my ID. And I'm guessing he saw me give it back to her. So I didn't have it. I panicked. I feel a hand grab my shoulder and think, oh my gosh, what is going on? But it was my friend and she pulled me into the bathroom. My other friends took up a bribe and gave it to him. Um, and I was okay. So I, I came back the next Monday at school. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, Janice went to Mexico. Blah. Like it is like <laughs> it. And I just felt awful. Like I thought in one moment, like my whole testimony is gone kind of, but I, what it did is help me realize, like, I don't have to give in. I can stand up for what I want and just say, wow. no, I don't want to go. You know, another one was also a senior in high school, but, um, one of my friend's friend had a limo for graduation and she wasn't allowed to invite two friends. So she invited me and my other friend. So we were in the limo. Um, then we pull up and guys get in the limo. To, you know, her, her guy friends. And so, you know, they're smoking marijuana. They had beer. I'm just sitting there. Like, I just want to go home. But then we were about to go to a friend's graduation party. So perfect. I will just ask to spend the night with another friend there. Well, they were so out of it. They couldn't remember where the party was oh, no. and I didn't know where he lived. And so, um, we just drove around all night. I wish I would have thought to get to a gas station and just say, wait for me. I'm calling my parents. I'd like to go home, but didn't have that thought process at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. At that time. So I know before cell phones. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, yeah, that, that was a part of just God. I don't have to be afraid of what other people think. And that's been a constant yeah. thing of growth in my life. Yeah. yeah interesting. What about you, Craig? 
You know, it's a yeah, high school, you know, I I was a Christian that almost didn't have like a, a home in a sense of spiritual community. So I had a lot of my my mom's friends, you know, that kind of thing, but I didn't have any like close high school friends that were at the same place, um, you know, in faith. Like I, I hadn't participated or been to a church. I had a youth group. So I was, that was completely foreign to me. And I would say it was my sophomore year of high school, really, where it became kind of a, a really significant year for me. Um, you know, I, I was, it was the days of the Christian t-shirts, you know, that was, that was a cool thing once upon a time. And uh, yeah, I, have. I had, I had a lot. Um, and I said, you know, I was, I was, you know, I started the year off uh, my sophomore year and I said, you know what, I'm going to really focus on, on, on spiritual growth and doing my devotions every single day and really kind of making that a really a big priority. And so I was, and it was, it was the hardest year of school I, I'd faced. And it was also the best year of school that I faced. So, you know, it was every day. And I, I decided I was going to wear my Christian t-shirts every single day of the school year. So I was that kid, <laughs> um, you know, and part of it, you know, I used to bring my Bible to school and, and I would get made fun of. Um, people would, would sing, you know, Bible songs to me uh, uh, to make fun of me. Um, they make fun of my shirts. I had um, I had a wood shop class. And in that class, you know, people would drill holes through my textbook. They would glue my oh. pages shut. And it was nothing that I that I said, but what I stood for. And, you know, it was a really it, it was a really hard year from an isolation perspective and just feeling like I was standing alone. I didn't know anybody. Um, and you know, two things were significant that year. Um, it really helped. One is, uh, another student, um, he came up to me and he, he said, Hey, I like your shirts. Um, and you know, do you go to church anywhere and would you like to come to our youth group? And so that was the first, first time I ever experienced a youth group yeah, and I completely fell in love. I'm like, Oh my gosh, there are Christians here and these people go to my high school. <laughs> um, and so, you know, so it was, that was a really big thing. And then, you know, secondarily was, you know, my devotions and I was feeling pretty down about just, you know, gearing up for another day uh, of going to school and getting made fun of, you know, I was, um, I was reading my devotions one morning and, you know, I came across John 15, 18 and, you know, it, the, the verse just completely stuck out to me. And as Jesus was saying, so if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Yeah. And, and that moment I was just like, okay, like I'm okay. You know, I, the opposition that I'm feeling like Christ, Christ experience is way, way deeper than I ever have. But it was just that, sort of that Craig, it's okay. This, this happened. Uh, I love you deeply and you're standing up for what you believe in. And so it, it was just something super special mm -hmm. for me that year. Um, and there it's like I said, it was the hardest yeah. year, but it was also a really great year. Yeah. It's often the way it goes, right? The things that are the, the toughest that you have to persevere through also shape you the most, you know, right. for sure. Um, although I bet it was hard to study if your pages were glued together. I bet that was, <laughs> Heard some challenges with that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, wow, interesting. Okay, so how did you guys meet? At CCU, Colorado Christian University. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. 
You both came out here? Mm -hmm. Came my junior year. I went to El Paso Community College for two years and then wanted to be a family counselor. And so Larry Crabb and Dan Allender had a master's program here that I wanted to go to. So I finished off my undergrad at CCU and I came to for for that purpose, not to find a husband, not to find a boyfriend. (laughs) And And she met me. She couldn't resist. (laughs) Within the first probably few days of being on campus, first few weeks for sure. Yeah. We didn't date then, but that's when we met. Yeah. Oh man. Was it like love at first sight gazing longingly at each other across the green pasture or what? Pretty similar to that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for you. (laughs) I know. She just didn't know it yet. That's all. <laughs> I wasn't here to find a husband. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but over time, I got to see what a great guy he is. And, yep, won me over. Okay, good. <laughs> all right. Fair enough. That's good. I just was curious. Craig, let's talk about, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you had this sort of sense of, God calling you to something else. And we've had some of those conversations like where you're just like, I don't know, you know, you're good at what you do, but you, it's not really what you wanted to do. And so you were, you were curious and you wanted to, you really want to help students. How, take us through some of that journey that you, that you had um, in order to get to, to where you are now. Yeah. You know, I'd say there's, there's a couple stories here. Um, one is a junior high story. And, you know, in junior high, I had just, I just switched from um, going to Catholic school to a public school and experiencing public school for the first time, you know, and it was overwhelming. And there, what I learned real quick was that there were a lot of students that knew each other from their elementary schools. But when I came in, I, I knew about four people. And so I was, um, you know, just trying to sort of find my own way in this sea of, of new people, um, and this new experience. And I remember, uh, a student that sat behind me in one of the classes is just, we're talking probably in the first six weeks of school, this all happened. Um, the student sat behind me and, and right away, you know, you could, you could kind of sense that if you looked in the room and said, which student didn't belong, people would point and say, this is the student didn't belong. And so you looked a little different than everybody else. Um, maybe, you know, grew up on the other side of town. You know, it was just, you could say there was some dynamics there. Um, and I just remember the kids were, were, were kind of poking fun of them. And I, I had no idea who this kid really was, um, but they had history with them. And so I just remember one day um, just saying, hey, you guys, like, why do you keep picking on him? You know, why don't you just leave him alone? And in that, in that moment, as I said that, I knew I was saying the right thing, but then all of a sudden everyone started turning on me and being like, oh, so you guys are friends and, and you guys are this. And, you know, for me, I'm just thinking like, no, we're, I'm sorry, we're not friends, you know? And, and when I said that, I realized what I said was, was really hurtful and mm. it was awful and I shouldn't have said it. And I knew better. And I think for me, I, it was that, that moment of, Hey, I'm trying to fit in too. And I, this could hurt me if I associate with somebody that nobody likes. And so that was my, my first thought in this. And so, um, so out of that, it, you know, experience, you know, it just, 
was really disappointed in myself that I said that. And it was probably two weeks later, um, you know, we, we went to our, our kind of our homeroom time in the beginning of school and uh, the teacher call, calls together and she says, hey, we have an announcement and we'll let you guys know that that Teddy, the kid that sat behind me, he committed suicide. Oh, wow. And that that stuck with me for 25 years of carrying some guilt that I was a part of that. And I had, I had no idea that that event was, was carrying with me for until years later. And, you know, it was just, it was one of those things where I, I, I could never, I couldn't tell anybody the story because it would just well up in tears and it was really hard to share because I was disappointed in myself. So I think that that was a, a very significant event for me um, going through high school and going and getting into college. And so, um, so I think that that was one of the catalysts that, that really drove me to pursue a youth ministry degree. Um, so yes, that, that was wow. the chief story there. What did you believe about yourself after that event? Um, that I wasn't a good person and, um, probably a lot of disappointment in myself and that I should have been better. And uh, I disappoint other people. Mm. How did you resolve that? You know, it was, I was at a men's retreat and this is a weird story, but I was at a men's retreat and we all sat down went to this restaurant. There was like 15 guys sitting around a table getting barbecue and, and this guy sitting next to me, Jeff, um, he started asking me some questions uh, about about my childhood and stuff. And this story came out and I sat there and I bawled like you wouldn't believe right there at the table. And I it was just just releasing all this detention. And, and while I was doing that, he just kept on asking me more questions through the process and he just didn't stop. And it was such a, an amazing experience of, of processing through a deep wound and hurt. I, I guess I felt like I needed to, to get it off my chest. I didn't even know it, but he just kept on pursuing me. And I mean, I, I could tell that healing was beginning at that moment um, for the first time. Like I said, that was wow. 25 years later. So, yeah. And that, um, so, so you said that was relevant to kind of where you're headed with students. Is that, is that kind of driving some of your desire to help them? You know, I think, I think, um, yes, that was one aspect of it. So that experience, I think shaped me into looking at people in a different light. So I'm kind of a concert junkie and I used to be when I could go to concerts <laughs> before you had um, kids and that was too dang expensive. Yeah, and there wasn't a, a pandemic. Oh, that pandemic too. I'm trying to forget about the pandemic. Okay, <laughs> right. forget about that. So, uh, you know, what I, my experience there was, you know, remembering Teddy, remembering a kid that was in the shadow, the kids that nobody was paying attention to. And so I think that that changed my heart to recognize students that didn't fit in. And so a lot of the concerts that I go to, um, I do a lot of crowd and people watching and I can look and I can say, 
them going to this concert is their family. They live to mm. come to a concert and be with people in this environment. This is all they have. And that's kind of heartbreaking to think that, that this is almost in a sense, their God, but also their, their, their sole community is based around music, no conversation and no one that probably given them really strong love. And so there's this aspect of that, that I just felt like I want to reach out or help be a part of that community um, that nobody's sticking up for. So there was an aspect of that uh, among students and just working with, with students in those formative years, making critical decisions that will shape their future. So, you know, just like mine was shaped um, maybe in a little bit of a negative way, but also in a positive way uh, as a catalyst for change um, to be a part of students uh, as they continue to grow. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. So you guys are, are doing something that's a little bit, uh, you know, outside of the box, right. For, for most of us. So tell us, tell us that story. And, uh, I'm sure we can have both of you kind of tell some of that, but, um, cause you, you are going to the nether or no, I'm sorry, to Luxembourg. I keep wanting to say the Netherlands to Luxembourg. They're like the same place, right? No, not really. Just kidding. They're close. <laughs> They're nearby, but to, to Luxembourg. Um, so what, uh, like, tell us the story of kind of how that became the place that you wanted to go. And then, cause God did some cool things to kind of bring you to like confirm it and make it happen. So tell us that story. Yeah. Um, you know, Luxembourg, why Luxembourg? It's a dot in the map mm-hmm. in the middle of Europe. Um, <laughs> Nobody cares about Luxembourg, Greg. Nobody cares about Luxembourg. They don't need Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I'm just right. kidding. You know, I'm kidding. And uh, it's so, you know, it goes back to 2017. Um, so my, my family line uh, on my mom's side goes back to Luxembourg, early 1900s. And I know I learned that I could basically become a citizen of Luxembourg and no practical reason other than it seems kind of cool. And, it could open up doors for our kids if they wanted to live abroad or something. So uh, I decided to, to take a look at that and see what was involved with uh, securing a citizenship. And, you know, they really outlined that it was about a year and a half process, start to finish, you apply, submit a bunch of documents and then you wait for about about a year, you get your approval and you fly to, to Luxembourg and you get your official certificate and stamp and you're good. Pretty easy process compared to most people um, that try to find citizenship. And I said, well, okay, I'm going to go ahead and just try to pursue that. So I filed in, in 2017. Did you just think it was cool? Yeah. I mean, there was, there was no other real practical reason to do it. You know, even my, I had a conversation with my brother. He's like, why, why would you consider getting it? Like, what is it really going to give you? I'm like, nothing. (laughs) There's really like, there's, there's nothing that I practically would use it for. And so, you know, but it was a, it was also, I should say that was an opportunity that Luxembourg opened up for a period of 10 years. And and in that, that, that 10 years, you could reclaim citizenship to those who had lost it when they immigrated. Um, so by this time, it was about the eighth year. So, 
you know, this was a unique opportunity to try to jump on and, um, you know, reclaim citizenship. So, you know, that's, uh, that's what I was after. Um, so four and a half months later, after I applied though, uh, I got a call from the organization where I filed through and, and they just said, Craig, congratulations, you're done. You're a citizen. And my thought was, how can I, how did I just get a citizenship in four and a half months? This yeah. is a year and a half. Uh, I, and I don't understand. And the trip to Luxembourg. And the trip to Luxembourg. And you're telling me I'm going to get a citizenship in the mail. And it was just a, a super interesting moment for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this kind of happens out of the blue, right? And this, this started going, how did you end up? Cause you did eventually end up going over there. So how, tell, how'd that tell us that story? Yeah. You know, it was, you know, I had prior to the citizenship, you know, I had been wrestling um, with sort of direction and, and where God was, was taking me, you know, my career, what my future held uh, just asked a lot of questions and so when the citizenship came up, uh, you know, I looked at this and I'm like, well, does, is this, is this something I should be paying attention to in a different way? Um, I didn't anticipate four and a half months getting a citizenship. So it kind of spurred on um, some additional conversations around, you know, should I be using this or not? And I really, I spent, um, decided to start digging in to see if there was uh you know, any, any place that made sense for how I would leverage a Luxembourger citizenship. Uh, the, I, I met a person two weeks later after this um, that was from Luxembourg and we exchanged a couple of casual emails. And after that, you know, I, I was like, wow, great. Maybe we'll meet one day and I left it at that. Over the next six months, I spent time researching the country it's, it's kind of spiritual dynamics, economic status, um, and just trying to see, is there, is there something I should be paying attention to uh, with Luxembourg? Yeah. Is, and, dur- during that time, Janice, were you just like, would you shut up about that little country? Or like, what was your... <laughs> he is an internal processor. So no, he you had no idea. He didn't really tell me a whole lot. <laughs> you had no clue. Um, I had, well, the craziness that in the like fall of 2017, he had, he was off of work for three out of work for three months and was able to really process these questions of, should I be doing something different with my life? Where's God leading me with some other people? Great. Had great feedback to say, it seems like there's something in your future, but not for now. Just so he went back into it. Um, so I didn't think anything much of it. And, but when you get a citizenship in four and a half months and Mm you didn't really do anything to get it. That's kind of crazy. So it was interesting, but I wasn't expecting much out of it. Yeah. He did a lot of processing that gotcha. I didn't know about. <laughs> okay. So we had to yeah, get her perspective. I, Go ahead. Over that, over that six months, you know, it was really between like March of 2018 and August of 18. It was just really meeting with people, asking advice, seeking wisdom and everywhere I turn, it kind of came up empty and it's got this place where I'm like, I have no idea if there's anything else that I should be looking to or paying attention to. Um, but everything's coming up empty. So uh, in August of that year, I decided to reach back out to this guy I met um, over email from Luxembourg. 
just to see if, if he could point me into a direction um, that I hadn't already explored. And right away he replied back and says, well, yeah, actually he goes, you know, we've been talking to this, uh, this American organization, um, you know, just recently they're called young life. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but maybe they're, maybe you can check them out. And of course, you know, we're from Colorado and we know all about young life here yeah. and this organization. And so I thought, huh, well, this is interesting. And the first, my first thought is, is, could there be something with my youth ministry degree and youth background that, that the Lord is wanting to use? So, you know, I reach out to Young Life and just kind of trying to figure out what they are up to uh, with Luxembourg. And um, the lady tells me, she's like, well, you know, we're, we've been praying about getting started in Luxembourg and, you know, taking it slow and just bathing in prayer right now and seeing what the Lord wants to do. I thought, wow, it's okay. Great. Interesting. And of course she turns and says, well, who, who are you? And why do you care about this little tiny country in the middle of Europe? <laughs> yeah. And I said, well, a good question. And so, you know, I just tell her, I said, look, I said, you know, I've been on this journey for nine months trying to figure out if I should be doing something with this Luxembourg citizenship. I said, I have a, I have a youth ministry degree. I have an MBA. I had sensed maybe, maybe some missional aspect in my future. And I got the citizenship. And I said, I, right now I'm just knocking on doors. I'm just trying to figure out if this stuff fits or doesn't fit or what the Lord is, is, is moving me towards. And, you know, she super interested in my background and she encouraged me to talk to two people, uh, a guy named Tom in, in Washington, D.C., and, and a guy named Bill um, that is a director for Young Life Western Europe. And so I talked to, talked to Tom, telling my story. He's super excited, and he's got a heart for Luxembourg. And just over and over, just affirming me in having the citizenship and how important and special it was to have that. And then... Um, I talked to Bill and share my whole story with Bill and my journey that I've been on. And he just, at the end of the conversation, he says, well, you know, if you're really interested in what we're doing uh, with young life here in, in Europe, he goes, I, I come on out. He goes, we have a conference coming up and you, know, you come and check it out. We'll be spending a week in Luxembourg. Uh, we can talk more. We can take you around, show you around things. And I thought, wow, it's pretty generous. I've never even been to Europe. And so this would have been a pretty neat opportunity to make that trip. So, um, you know, I get off the phone and tell Janice, I'm like, Hey, they invited us out to Luxembourg and this conference. And, <laughs> and you're excited. Hey, I'm excited. And then I turn to Janice and what do you think? And she says, I'm not excited. <laughs> I, he, I had already back when he was applying for citizenship and one of the requirements was to visit the country in my head, I'm like, man, he's going to want me to go. I just don't want to go. What am I going to do? Uh, I guess I'll have to go. So at this time I had a good out because we had just started homeschooling. It was September. We don't have family around it. Just five weeks was too fast to try to bring anything together to get somebody to watch the kids and do school with them and all that. So yeah, I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> so you went by yourself. I went by myself. 
I figured, you know, the, the important thing here is I'm like, okay, I've been on this journey for a while. I just wanted to see it through and see, is there something there I should be paying attention to or not? Yeah. And so that was really the big reason. You're, you're asking the questions. You went, you met a bunch of cool people. Um, and then you went back the next year and you both went, right? Yeah. 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 So we went back last year and yeah, Janice got to go and, uh, you know, I really had a great, I enjoyed my time the first time through and, and really the second time was my hope and prayer was that Janice would experience what I experienced there. So that was kind of um, really my hope out of the journey. Yeah. So before we went, God had just shown up in so many ways, like weekly, we were shaking our heads, not believing what he was doing, people he was connecting us with, circumstances that would happen was just too obvious that God was laying out a path in front of us. Yeah. Can you give me an example or two? Some of the big questions that we were asking is, is this for real? Is, is could God really be leading us to Luxembourg? And you always look for the big sign, right? And so we didn't always see, we, don't, we didn't find the big sign. What we saw was a bunch of small signs and a bunch of promises. Yeah. And so, you know, the first one was uh, I got back from, from my trip. Uh, the first time I got back from my trip, I was just, you know, still thinking a lot about the trip and the journey and, you know, where I was working downtown, um, we had just moved into a brand new building. And so there was still a lot of construction going on outside of, of the building. And so they had construction vehicles and, and mesh netting and things like that still around the sidewalks. And so I just remember though, when I got back and I had my first day back to work after the trip, I turned the corner of the building and I stopped. And what I saw was um, construction netting around a tree. Normally that, that netting is orange. Um, but this netting was, was three stripes. It was red, white, and blue. And I stopped and I looked at the, the, that, that netting and I said, that is the same order, the same colors of the Luxembourg flag. Wow. This was interesting. Okay. What am I? <laughs> and, and I just was like, I just knew that there was some promise here. And every day I went to work for the next few months, just seeing that construction netting was some promise that the Lord has something for us in Luxembourg. And it was a, it was a big moment for me personally, but still it was a, it was a pretty cool experience. And for me, my biggest concern was the kids, like we can't move overseas, root them out. You know, they've got roots, they've developed their establishing places of faith and security and belonging. And, um, but over, over time, we didn't tell them at first, but over time, just invited them to pray and ask God if this is something he wants to lead us on. Mm. And, um, I expected pure fallout, everybody to be crying and yelling and not wanting to go. And, um, only one of them did. And within two weeks, he came to us saying, I don't want to go, but I can't see any reason not to go. And my friends and I, have talked about this and we think if this is where God's leading, I don't want to miss out. And so for me, like then the kids would start saying, mom, when are you going to say yes, you're holding us all back. So that was a wow. sweet answer from God. To That's beautiful though. Mm -hmm. I mean, to give your kids the opportunity to say, Hey, pray about it. Right. Mm -hmm. And let them also be led by the spirit. What a, what a cool uh, opportunity that you had there to do that. Very nice. That's awesome. And to see God work through it, right? Yes. Like that's that's a really great confirmation. Wow. Okay. So you guys are working on going to Luxembourg. 
Uh, where are you at in that process? Yeah. So right now we're fundraising. Um, would love to still get there, you know, sometime this year, ideally into the summer. And, you know, it's been, we've been on this journey for a while and ready to get over there. You know that, so there's one aspect there and we've started actually doing some uh, young life committee training with, with some committee people in Luxembourg. So that's been pretty exciting too, is to start to create some engagement um, with the people already over there. Yeah. Um, what is Luxembourg like in terms of spiritually right now? Yeah. So, you know, there's, it, it's just like a lot of the other European countries, um, there's sort of this decline of sort of organized religion and more of a movement towards secularism, post-Christianity, um, kind of a mindset. So with Luxembourg in particular, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's a very neat country, a very professional culture. Since they're so small, um, they take great pride in what they've been able to accomplish. And so when you, when you look at their sort of economic status and everything they've done, they've turned around and said, well, look what I've done. Why do I need God now when I've been able to accomplish all this without him? And so there's sort of this, this God's no longer relevant. It was a thing from the past. Um, we're getting along fine without him. So why do we need him? And so I think that there, there's a posture of that within the country. And, you know, like a lot of Europe, um, there, there's a need uh, to bring Jesus back in the conversation. At the same time, there's a, there are people full of life in Christ there. And I think that's what's been another sign for mm. me or a sweet thing on this journey is it's not Craig going over to start something from nothing. It is amazing how God has brought people from all over together um, who didn't know each other uh, through different connections, not even same connections to, to start this. So when we go over there's, as Craig mentioned, there's already a committee started that, that want to see young life get started in the country. And a um, few people we met that are just really alive in their faith and excited to share the love of Jesus with people. Uh, I love that. Very cool. Well, yeah. And I think you said before, um, that Luxembourg is sort of strategically positioned right within Europe as a place, as a center and a hub where, so raising up the church in that area would, could be potentially explosive throughout Europe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much. You know, I think of, yeah, like you said, very kind of centrally located and I just see neat things out of this country and its potential and just to, to bring Jesus back in the country but you know what God will do and what he's already doing and being able to join his plan um, is pretty special for sure. Very cool. Okay. What do you guys need? We need to get to a hundred percent of our funding in order to, uh, to get to Luxembourg. (laughs) Yeah. 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 How can people, so friends, if you, if you're interested and uh, you know, here's the the reason, obviously, um, Janice and Craig are my friends. And so I, I invited them on to support them, but also it bothers me so much to see that a place where the church once um, thrived in, in Europe is so um, post-Christian. And, uh, you know, I even personally, I'm not even concerned about the flavor of Christian necessarily. I just want them to lo- know Jesus. Right. And so um, 
how how does that happen? And so I'm it's just kind of a personal. I was thinking today when I was thinking about our, our conversation today. Um, you know, we also have talked to the Copelands a couple times, and they're getting ready to go over to Ireland soon. And we've talked to um, one of my parents' childhood mentors who was in France for, I think, 30 years, like a long, long time. Um, and so it's kind of a theme on the on the show. Uh, but that's because I think it's so important, right? It's so, so valuable. Uh, and I'm so glad that the Lord is raising up people to go there and just and serve. So um, – but how can where can people go to help if they if if you guys feel friends like the the need or the desire to to give either on a one time basis or on a monthly basis I'm sure you would love that um, and also where would they go first of all yeah you know there's a, a couple of places you know one is they can reach out directly to us um, we can get them set up or you know there's a, a young life giving link um, that people can go to as well and they can either look for us, um, do the list or we can, you know, we can provide you Eric with a, yeah. a, a direct link, take you straight there. I've, I've, I've got the link. And so, um, but I'm not, I can't read this whole URL. So if you, but if you just go to uh halfwaythereapodcast.com, hit the show notes, you can click on that and you'll, you'll find it. So sound good. Yeah. Uh, Awesome. Well, okay. I'm interested to see what God does. I hope that you can you can get there this summer. We'll see. I, you know, who knows? Travel's all a little crazy right now, but uh, yeah, but I hope that uh, that things are coming in. You guys are already already well on your way, which I think is pretty cool. So I love the story, here, friends. I think here's here's one thing to take away from this. Uh, I love what you said, Craig. Sometimes it was just little little things, right? Some, we're always looking for the big sign. We want the burning bush, the bright light in the sky. Um, but often God is trying to speak to us through that burning desire in our hearts and all these little signs. And if we just start looking for it, we just start paying attention and asking, what is he doing? What are you doing? He leads you. He leads you in it. And you never know where it's going to lead. It might end up halfway across the world. It might end up across the street. But either way, it's going to be what he has for you and it's going to be good. I love that. All right, friends, anything you want to leave us with? You know, I would say that the theme, the theme of our journey has been trust. And it's just trusting the Lord that he knows what's next. And that just continues to prove over and over and over. Um, when we start to feel like, where's the Lord? He shows up and it's just because he's been at work and we just couldn't see it. And so that's just been a constant theme for us. So I would say, you know, trust the Lord. Yeah. Yeah, trust the Lord. Amen. Hey, thanks for being here, guys. Thank, Thank you so much. so much. Good talking to you.